Morning, church. So thanks for being here. Welcome today. We are in a study called Rediscovering God's Word. Today is our last sermon in the series. We've just been doing this to encourage you to read your Bible. Um, I know some parts of the Bible can be confusing, and I know sometimes it's difficult. Today, I'm just going to preach through the whole Bible. So we're calling it a journey through the Bible. So you might want to buckle up. Um, we're covering a little bit of material here. So I got to thinking, if you were to preach a sermon through the whole Bible, what events would you pick? What characters would you pick? So I cheated, and maybe you've seen this before. I googled through the Bible in 50 words. So here's a sermon on the Bible in 50 words. God made Adam bit, Noah arc, Abraham split, Joseph ruled, Jacob fooled, Bush talked, Moses balked. Pharaoh plague, sea divided, tablets guided, promise landed, judges led, Saul freaked, David peaked, kings adorned, prophets warned, Jesus born, God scorned, anger crucified, hope died, love rose, spirit flame, word spread, God remained, our sermon's done. How about that? That's kind of interesting. I found another one. God creates, Adam ate, Noah floats, Abraham oaths, Jacob schemes, Joseph dreams, bush lit, sea splits, law spoken, tablets broken, judges appointed, kings anointed, God forgotten, rulers rotten, kingdom broke, prophets hope, Mary favored, Savior hated, Jesus died, third morn, world reborn, spirit glows, love grows, earth awaits, God creates. You should try that sometime. You come up with your events, it doesn't have to be 50 words, you come up with your characters, you come up with your words, and you make your own summary. So today, let's just take a journey through the Bible, and it all begins right here, in the beginning God. That's where it all starts, that's where it should always start, in the beginning God. It all starts with God, and the Hebrew writer said, God opened His mouth, and He spoke, and God said, let there be light and sky and dry land and vegetation and stars in the sky and birds and fish and animals and livestock. And God looked at all of that creation, and He said, it's not just good, it's very good. It's very good. And yet when God looked at the man, He said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God took one of the man's ribs and made a woman from the rib he had taken. So He said, It's not good. Adam, I want you to take a nap. And He took a nap and He took a rib and He made a woman. And Adam woke up from that nap and He said, Whoa, man. Pause for a little effect there. And Adam said, good, this is exactly what I wanted. And then God put him in a special place. And when he put him in that special place, he had special instructions. And he said, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. It's kind of interesting that you can follow the tree theology through the Bible. Let me illustrate. In Genesis, there's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In Revelation, blessed are those who have the right to the tree of life. And right in the middle, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, because as it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. So anyway, we get back to the Garden of Eden, back to where everything was perfect. They had everything they wanted. They had everything they wanted to eat. God provided everything. And then Satan entered the picture. Satan entered the picture, and Eve listened, and they both ate and they sinned, and then we want to play the blame game. Some people will say, I blame Satan. This was Satan's fault. There's a lot of people that want to play the blame game. It's never their fault. They don't own up. The devil made me do it, 
and they want to play the blame game. And God played the blame game, and He said, Adam and Eve, you sinned. You were disobedient. You're responsible for your own sin. And so the Lord said to the man, what have you done? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And he said, it wasn't me. It was the woman. The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit. So God said to the woman, what is it you've done? And she said, it wasn't me. It was the serpent. And so being a righteous God, he drove them out of the garden. And before he drives them out, he curses the ground. And man had to work by the sweat of his brow. And he curses the woman with increased pain in childbirth. And then he says to the serpent, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring, your seed and hers. That's the word there, between your seed and hers. And he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. From now on, you and the woman are going to be enemies. And your offspring, her offspring is going to be enemies with you. And one of these days, Satan, one of these days, I'm not going to tell you when, but one of these days, he's going to crush your head and you will strike his heel. In other words, you might inflict some pain on him, but he will destroy you. Now, you already know who that's going to be. We know the rest of the story because we know that's the first messianic prophecy. In other words, God's talking about Jesus. It's the first prophecy of the Messiah. God is already promising to send Jesus. He already has a plan to redeem us. So let's get back to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, they just want back in the garden. They just want back to the way things were, which is what we always want. We just want things to get back to the way they were. We want to get back in relationship with God, and they're about to learn that their disobedience, their sin, has consequences. They're about to learn that they need redemption. So God puts an angel with a flaming sword, and they're not able to go back into the garden, and they're now separated from God. And just like us, they learn that they need redemption. And just like us, they learn something needs to be done, but we need to keep moving on our journey. So Adam and Eve have a child. In fact, we get so bogged down reading about so-and-so begat, 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 begat. There's people born, and we can't even say their names. And so we flip over to the New Testament, and in Matthew, so-and-so begat, 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 and we're like, I'm just not going to read my Bible anymore. I can't get through all of these begats. And somewhere along the line, we've got to keep reading. So we go back to Genesis, and there's a guy that's born named Noah. Noah's born during a very wicked time. In fact, Scripture says, The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time, and the Lord was grieved. And he made it rain. And it rained a lot. It rained and it rained and it rained. And the Bible says Noah was a righteous man. And if we're reading the Bible for the first time, we're thinking back to the Messianic prophecy that God said, I'm going to send a seed. There's going to be a seed who's going to crush Satan. There's going to be a seed. And we get to think, well, maybe Noah's the guy. Maybe Noah is the seed. I mean, maybe Noah's the seed that's going to take away our sin. Maybe Noah is the seed that's going to take us back to God. Noah doesn't do that. He builds a big ark. And it rains and it rains and it rains. But Noah's not the one. And the earth floods and he and his family survived. And you start reading about the sons of Noah. They're Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And if you get to reading about the sons, there's Shem who has a son 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 who has a son. Stay with me. And his name is Abraham. Uh, we're introduced to, to him as Abram, but the Lord changed his name to father of many. And so we learn about Abraham. God comes to Abraham and he says, I pick you. I'm picking you. Out of all the people, I pick you. And I'm going to make you a great land and give you a great land and a great promise and a great nation. And God tells Abraham, from your seed. There's our word, from your seed. So we go back to Genesis 3. Because from the woman's seed... 
God's got this plan that someone's coming. And he tells Abraham, from your seed, I'm going to make a great nation. And from your seed, I'm going to bless the whole world. And we get to thinking, okay, it wasn't Noah. Maybe Abraham's the one. Maybe Abraham is the seed. Maybe Abraham's the one who's going to bring us back to God. But Abraham wasn't the one. And Abraham has a son named Isaac. They were so old when they had Isaac. When they found out they were pregnant, she laughed. Sarah laughed, and Isaac means laughter. And so every time they said his name, laughter, they were reminded that God keeps his promises. And God has a plan. And God, God's going to do what he's always planned on doing. You're thinking, maybe Isaac is the one. But Isaac's not the one. Isaac's not the seed, and Isaac has two sons. There's Esau and Jacob, and Jacob was a rascal. He was a, a lion cheating rascal. He cheated his brother out of a blessing, and they have all these, this family squabble, and you get to thinking, will you, will you guys quit fighting? Well, can we quit having all the family fighting? Can someone just get us back to God? Can someone take care of the sin problem? But we find out that Jacob is not the one. Jacob has 12 sons. There's Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, and Benjamin. And we get to thinking, maybe one of these boys, maybe, maybe one of these seeds, maybe one of these sons is going to take care of the sin problem. But none of them do. None of them are the one. And these 11 boys hated one of them. They hated Joseph. They hated Joseph so much. We read about Joseph in Genesis 37 to, fi uh, 37 to 50. So there's about 13, 14 chapters, chapters devoted to Joseph. And we're thinking, well, maybe Joseph's the one. But they hated him and they sold him. And in the midst of this story, in the midst of this story in Genesis 38, you find the story of Judah and Tamar. We've preached on that before. Judah and Tamar. Tamar is the daughter-in-law of Judah. And they have an illegitimate child. You can read about this in the Bible. I'm not making this up. I'm, you can read about this in Genesis 38. And they have an Ill illegitimate child whose name is Perez. Perez. So just hold on to Perez and we'll come back to Perez. Anyway, Joseph ends up in slavery and he forgives his brothers and he reunites with his brothers and they move up with him and they're a happy family and, and yet things are still really messed up. Because the seed hasn't come. God hasn't done anything yet. It looks like God's not doing anything. And they're not in the land God promised. And they're not a great nation. And they certainly haven't been a blessing to anybody. But you've got to keep reading in your Bible. Because if you keep reading in your Bible, you discover God's not finished. God is not done. God has a plan. And God is weaving His sovereignty so that He can bring the seed. Just like God is not done with us. God's never done with us. No matter how bad we think we've been, we look good compared to the Israelites. But again, the seed's not here. The seed hasn't come yet. And then we read about a guy named Moses. Moses. When Moses was born, Pharaoh wanted every baby boy killed. He was going to get rid of all of them. So he was thrown, he wanted every baby thrown into the Nile River. He wanted them dead. So you know what Moses' mother and father did? They threw him in the river. Landed right in a basket. Which is why some people will say Moses has always been a basket case. Got to keep you in tune. So Moses lived and his mother was able to raise him and raised him in Pharaoh's house. And out of all the babies that needed to be killed, the one that needed to be killed is living in Pharaoh's house and being raised in Pharaoh's house. How cool is that on God's sovereignty and God's plan? That's the beauty of God's plan. He's still trying to raise up a seed. 
he's still trying to bring someone to take care of the sin problem. But Moses isn't the seed. We get to thinking, maybe it's Moses. I mean, Moses with the Ten Commandments and Moses with leading them to the Promised Land and Moses leading them out of bondage, but Moses is not the seed. And about that time, we learn about some plagues and there's blood and frogs and gnats and flies and livestock and boils and hail and locusts and darkness and firstborn. And Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. And he finally does. And so God's people are heading to the land. At least part of the promise is about to happen. And they're heading to the land. But they get out to the Red Sea and they're surrounded. Moses says, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you'll see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. I mean, all they see is the Egyptians behind them. And all they see is water in front of them. And they're thinking, this is how God works. This is how God weaves His plan. He brings us out here to die. And Moses says, just, just hold on. The Lord will fight for you because that's what, the God, what God always does. God always delivers and God always rescues. And then Moses dies. And then Joshua leads them into the promised land. So they finally have the land that was promised. And they become a great nation. But we're still looking for the seed. Where's the seed? You go back to Matthew 3. Where's the seed? I mean, God, all we want you to do is take care of the sin problem. So where's the seed? And then we get to reading about the judges. The judges are deliverers. The people would cry out and God would send deliverers. And so we read about all the judges. Othniel and Ehud. Ehud was a left-handed judge. Isn't it interesting what you read in the Bible? He's a left-handed judge. Don't know why. Shamgar, Deborah. Deborah was a woman. How interesting is that? Gideon, Abimelech, Tola, Jer, Jephthah, Ibsen, Elon, Abdon, Samson, Eli and and Samuel. And you're thinking maybe one of them. Maybe one of them's the seed. Maybe one of them's going to bring us back to God. Maybe one of them's going to fix the sin problem. But none of them are the one, are, are the one. And then we read about a woman named Ruth, and Ruth marries Boaz, and just happens that Boaz is the great 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 grandson of Perez. You remember Perez from Genesis thirty-eight. Perez was that illegitimate son of Judah and Tamar. And if you're keeping up with lineage, Perez was the son of Judah, Jacob, Isaac, Abraham, Terah, Shem, Noah, Seth. We're getting back to the seed. We're getting back to God's plan. This is all part of God's plan. I mean, if you're just reading, it looks like chaos, and it looks like a mess, and it looks like, does anybody even know what's going on? And God says, I know what's going on. I'm still working on the seed, and I'm still working on that plan. But we're, we're looking through the seed here. So um, Ruth and Boaz have a son named Obed, who has a son named Jesse, who has a son named David, and David becomes king. And God tells David, he says, I'll raise up your, there's our word, there's our language, I'll raise up your seed to succeed you, who will come from your own body, and I'll establish his kingdom. He's the one. He's the one. So in Genesis 3, God says, I'm going to send a seed that's going to crush Satan and defeat Satan. And now he's telling David, he's the, from your body, the seed's going to come. He's the one. So God's still at work. His plan is still in motion. And from David's seed will come the one. And then David came and went, and a bunch of other kings came and went. We had a period of united kingdom and a period of, of divided kingdom. And if you look at all the kings of Israel, I know that's real small print. There's 19 kings on the left. Every darn one of them was disobedient. Not a good one in the bunch. And then you get over here to the kings of Judah, and there weren't very many kings that were good on that side. And then during all of this time, you have prophets that are preaching to the kings, that are talking to the kings, and the prophets are saying, He's coming. 
He's still coming. The seed is still coming. In the midst of all of these bad kings, in the midst of the united kingdom and divided kingdom, he's still coming. And the prophets say he's going to be born in Bethlehem, and he's going to be born of a virgin, and he's going to spend time in Egypt. And he's going to be the stone that is despised and rejected. And he'll bring light to Galilee. He'll heal the brokenhearted. His kingdom will never be destroyed. He'll be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. He'll ride into Jerusalem on a donkey and he'll usher in a new covenant. And so the prophets are saying, hey, just hold on. It's still happening. The seed is coming. You need to have hope. And then the Old Testament ends. There's 400 years of silence. 400 years that no one hears from God. 400 years when God doesn't speak. I mean, God told the serpent, the seed's coming. He told Abraham, the seed's coming. He told David, the seed's coming from you. And he told the prophets, the seeds are coming. And then God is silent. Not for one year, not for five years, not for 15, 20 years. God is silent for not 100 years, not 200 years, not 300 years. For 400 years, God is silent. Generations come and generations go and not a word from God. And you've got to be wondering now, where's the seed? Who's going to defeat Satan? And then after 400 years, an angel appears to Mary and says, she'll give birth to a son. And you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet Isaiah, and they'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So an angel comes to Mary and says, it's time to, you know, 400 years of silence, it's time to kick this thing back up. You're going to have a baby, and he's the one. He's the one. He's the one that's going to save the world from their sins. He's the one that's going to bring redemption. And so then God sends a messenger. A forerunner named John the Baptist. And he was kind of a warm-up act to tell people, hey, it's coming. It's coming. And he was preaching one day out in the wilderness. And one day he looks up and he sees his cousin Jesus coming. And he says, behold, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. If you've been wondering, if you've been looking, behold, look. He says, he's the one. He points him out. He's the one. He's the Lamb. He's the one that's going to bring us back to God. He's going to be the one to take away the sin. He's going to pay our sin debt. He's going to buy us back. He's going to redeem us. And Herod tried to kill him, and Satan tried to tempt him, and they knew. They knew that Jesus was the one, that Jesus is a seed, and the world couldn't stand him. The world couldn't stand him, and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law plotted to kill him, and Judas lied about him, and Peter denied him, and they stripped him, and they whipped him, and they mocked him. They gave him a crown of thorns, and put him on a wooden cross and they nailed him to it and they raised that thing up and jerked it down in the ground and they put him to death and if you're reading the Bible you're thinking he's the one he's the one he's dead the seed is dead how is he going to destroy Satan but we, just like Paul Harvey, we know the rest of the story, and we know Jesus came up out of the grave. We know that He's risen. We know that He defeated death. And everybody who saw Him, and all those who touched Him, and anyone who calls on His name, they know He's the one. He's the seed. He's the Savior. He's the Redeemer. Because that's what Jesus told the people. He said, I'm, I'm the one. I'm the seed. I'm the Savior. I'm the Son of God. I came to take away sin. And if you'll follow me, I'm the way and I'm the truth and the life. 
And he told his disciples, I want you to go into all the world and I want you to tell people that I'm the one, that I'm the seed, that I'm the Savior. And that's exactly what they did. They went all over the world. They loved to tell the story. That's more than just a song. That's our marching orders. And they went everywhere. And they went to Jerusalem and then Judea and then Samaria. And they went to Antioch and Philippi and Corinth and Ephesus. And to anyone who would listen, they preached Jesus. To anyone who would listen, they preached Jesus Christ resurrected And they wrote letters to people, and they encouraged people, and they told people, listen, you need to live like Jesus is coming again. And you need to make every effort to be found spotless and blameless and at peace with Him. And bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation to you. And then you get to that last book in the Bible, that book of Revelation. And you read again that what was lost in Genesis is found in Revelation. And those three trees that we talked about, the tree that started in Genesis, and the tree of life in Revelation, and the tree that Jesus died on in the middle, the tree that redeemed us. And we see from Genesis to Revelation, we see that God has always had a plan. And His plan has been for us to be in right relationship with Him. And God has always pursued us. And God has always wanted to restore us. And God has always wanted to be in relationship with us. And when Jesus died on that tree, when He became a curse for us, our relationship was restored. And we became right with God when He died on that tree. And those Christians in the first century went everywhere preaching that message. And that message still preaches today. That message doesn't need to change at all today. Listen, folks, the story of the Bible is a story of redemption. The story of the Bible is a story of a God who doesn't give up on us. The story of the Bible is a story about a God who pursues us. The story of a Bible is your story. In fact, it's a love story. The story of the Bible is the reason I encourage you to read this text message from God is you'll see how much God loves you and pursues you. God moved heaven and earth to make things right between us. And that's a story worth reading. And that's why you need to read the Bible. But we need to go back to that seed. I want to go back to that seed from Genesis 3 when God said a seed's coming. And that seed did come. And here's what's interesting. This is the way I love the way God weaves things. In Galatians 3, you're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. There's our word. The promise that was given to Abraham is the promise that's still given to us. And so that seed that was to come is passed on to us and we become heirs. We become descendants. We become part of that seed story. And that story continues today. That story continues in me and you as we keep telling the story that Jesus is the one. We sing that song that Jesus is the one. And if you'll follow Jesus... God will say the same thing He said in the beginning. He'll say, that's good. It's exactly what I wanted. It's good. I wanted you to follow my Son. And we sing the song, Lord, the people praise You. Lift You up and raise You. You are the Holy One. You're the One. You're the only One. And that's why we meet. And that's why we come together. And that's why this church believes it's so important to remember that Jesus is the one that we partake of what we call communion, the Lord's Supper. And we want to do that right now to remember that Jesus is the one.